18, look at verse number nine. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Did you know those two things go together? When a man's self-righteous, he will despise others. Some of the meanest people ever lived religious people. You look, you look at who, you know who nailed Jesus to the cross? It wasn't harlots and publicans. It was religious people. You know who's behind the inquisitions? Religious people. Uh, you know who, uh, what Saul of Tarsus was, persecuting the church before God saved him? Religious. High-minded, haughty, arrogant, proud, self-righteous. Meanest people in the world. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican. Of course, you know, a publican's a tax collector. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So I'm thinking about this simple thought, self-righteousness. Brother Ralph, pray for us, will you? God, you know our need, Father. We're God empty nothing. Amen. And dealing with a subject like this, I, I, I don't want to be harsh, and I want to be gentle, but I want to be plain. Most of the people in this church, your problem's not laying drunk. Problem's not running around and these type of sins. But I'm afraid that in a congregation like this, a lot of times, if there's any damning sin, it'll be self-righteousness. So there could be no doubt as to who Christ is talking about. He zeroes in. He narrows this thing in. He focuses on one thing. And it's in verse number nine. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Now we know that generally all scripture is delivered and given to everybody. But there's a, there's a specific application here and it is to the self-righteous and we know that in the area of self-righteousness Christ condemns it and that God he said here giveth grace to the humble and he resisteth the proud C.H. Spurgeon once said that open sin will condemn its thousands but self-righteousness its tens of thousands now you've got to be spiritually minded to understand what I'm about to say. There was an old gentleman that made this statement. And how right he is. He said if I was to die. Stand before God tomorrow. I'd rather stand there accused of murder. Than to stand there accused of self-righteousness. You let that sink in. The, the sin God hates above all sin. Is self Righteousness. When he spoke of seven things he hated, what's the first thing? A proud look. What's that? Self 
righteousness. It's self-righteousness that will damn the church member. It is self-righteousness that will damn the good moral man. It is self-righteousness that will damn the good mother and the good grandfather and the good moral grandmother that would give her life for her children and her grandchildren because self-righteousness trust in what we are and not who Christ is. That's the damning thing of self-righteousness. There was a woman one time went and witnessed to this elderly lady who was in her 80s and she was proceeding to explain that we are all sinners. And this Christian lady was trying to get her to understand how that this is universal. That it's not just murders and thieves and whoremongers that need salvation, but everybody does. That we're all sinners before God. And she proceeded to tell this elderly lady, she said, I'd do that which I would not. She said, there's nothing good within me but God. She said, uh, when I would do right, I'd do wrong. When often I do want to do that, that it please God. I find myself doing the opposite. And on and on she went, exposing the depravity of her own heart. What that early woman said, she said, well, young lady, what I'd do, I'd straighten up my ways if I was you. See, she didn't have a clue of what that Christian woman was saying because she is a good old woman, probably been good to her husband, probably never run around on him, probably did without to provide for her children, probably did without to provide for her grandchildren, probably they were the joy of her heart, but her damning sin will be self-righteousness. I'm good. I'm better than so-and-so. Boy, that's a dangerous thing to compare yourself with someone else. A self-righteousness does this. The Bible says this parable is to those that trust in themselves that they're righteous and they despise others. What does self-righteousness do? The first thing the self-righteous does is justify their, their own self in their own mind. In verse number 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now, this is not a conversation with God. This is not a man praying to God. This is a man bragging on himself. This is a Pharisee that is so proud of what he is. What he does do, what he does not do. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Most people have how to justify themselves. They do it first to themselves. My dad once told me, I agree 100%. The greatest deception is self Deception. There's not a greater deception in all the world. Have you, I, and I ever come to that place as a hell bound, hell deserving, lost sinner without hope whatsoever of meriting our own forgiveness and our own salvation? We're living in a day when you can't even get folks to admit they have sin or anything's even wrong with them. Secondly, they that justify themselves will justify themselves before others. Luke 16, verse 15. He said unto them, Ye are they which justify. 
justify yourselves before men. Now, there was a great preacher called Richard Baxter that wrote a book. I'm talking about three, four hundred years ago on the saints rest. Richard Baxter was once walking down the street with another man. He saw a drunken man in just an awful condition and the stoop uh, and staggering and and, uh, just, uh, I mean, he throwed up on himself and just an awful sight to behold. Richard Baxter said to the man beside him, you know what I see when I see that man? He said, apart from the grace of God, there goes Richard Baxter. And that's so true. There's nothing in myself I can brag about. Any good thing about me is Christ. But the self-righteous will never say that. They're so proud of what they are and they compare themselves with everybody else. What did the Pharisee say? I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm still married to my wife. I've been faithful unto her. I'm not as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all that I possess. Again, Luke 16, 15. Here they which justify themselves before men. But God knoweth your heart for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the eyes of God. That which appeals to a man is an abomination in the eyes of God. They justify themselves to themselves. They justify themselves to others, always defending themselves. But the most tragic thing of all, the self-righteous will justify themselves before God. I thank thee, God, that I am not as other men are. Now, First John 2 shows this progress of self-righteousness. First John 1 eight. if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, that's a man justifying himself. That's self-righteousness. If we say, that's John saying, that's a beloved disciple saying, that's an apostle of the Lord, that's the one that leaned on the breast of Christ and he said, if we, not you, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now look at the progression. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, that's God, a liar and his word is not in us. Do you see the progression? First of all, you deceive yourself. Secondly, you claim that you're just before God. You make God a liar. How do you make God a liar? How do you call God a liar? Because God said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you don't believe that, you've called God a liar. God said, there's none righteous No, not one. If you think you're righteous in yourself, you've called God a liar. God said there's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They've all become unprofitable. There's none, none, none that doeth good. No, not one. What's God saying? He is saying that that the 
have righteousness that God will accept. You don't possess it. I don't possess it without God. If I say I do, I've called God a liar. Jesus said, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except the man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. If I think I'm the exception, I've called God a liar. We're all sinners. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Some might have done worse than others, but we're all sinners in the same pit needing God's forgiveness, his love, and his mercy. So the self-righteous justify themselves to themselves. They justify themselves before others. They justify themselves before God. Then they despise others. Now I'm going to slow down right here and tell you what Christ said. He said, whenever you find a self-righteous person, they will despise others. You've never met a self-righteous person and you never will. That is not hyper Highly critical of other people. Religious self-righteous people are known for their critical natures. Lack of mercy, lack of love, lack of compassion. And the thing about this hypercritical judgment of everybody, it's not just found in the self-righteous sinner. It can be found even in a believer that's become self-righteous. The reason religious people who are not saved are so critical of others is their self-righteousness. They Hate others. Gossip is born of self-righteousness. Hatred, anger is born of self-righteousness. A critical spirit is born of self-righteousness. A no person who, I mean, habitually judges and condemns others. They do that because they've got a high opinion of themselves. And I criticize you. In an unholy way, I'm exalting myself every time that I do that. How you won't have a person who is humble, who is modest, who is broken before God sitting in judgment on others. The reason being, if you're saved by grace and you're walking humbly before God, you see that man in the same pit you are. If you're self-righteous, you're above that pit looking down on everybody else because you think you've got a higher standard and you're so much farther advanced than everybody else. That's what God hates. That's what God despises. God wants me have an attitude. I am what I am by the grace of God and I rejoice in what God has done for me, not what I have done for him. That doesn't mean you ought not to try to live as clean as you can and holy as you can. But if it turns you into a Pharisee, you miss the whole thing. Being super highly critical and judgmental is a mark of self-righteousness. Whether it's a sinner or a believer, two classes of people are represented in this parable. Luke 18 verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. Here they are. 
You can't miss it. Christ could not have used two examples that are more diametrically opposed than what he did. One, to describe the self-righteous is the Pharisee. The one, to describe the broken sinner is a publican. There was, there's not a man in Israel that Christ could have used. How that would have disturbed a Pharisee like Christ showing mercy to a publican or declaring that a publican was justified or saved or went to heaven and the self-righteous Pharisee went to hell. But that's exactly what Christ said in these verses. In verse 9, Christ is speaking about this parable of those that trust in themselves, those that have the spirit of criticism, those that are hypercritical and hyper judgmental. They despise others. They know nothing of the spirit of grace. They know nothing of the spirit of love. They know nothing of the spirit of compassion because they despise others because of their self-righteousness. Notice, self-righteousness will not allow a person to forgive. Self-righteousness will not allow a person to show mercy. Self-righteousness will not allow a person to show compassion. But anger and malice is in their heart. Here's two classes of people. Notice Christ represents the self-righteous by a self-righteous man. Not a drunk, not a harlot. And not some drug addict, not some murderer, or not some thief. He uses an example of the most moral man in all of Israel. The best daddy in all of Israel. The best religious man in all of Israel. And Christ said, that's the man I reject because he does not think he needs me. There's nothing that God despises like somebody that does not think they need God. There's a family in this church that lost a family member not long back. That man on his deathbed speaking about his own soul said, I just don't see the need. I just don't see the need of Christ and God's forgiveness. That man thought he was all right in the eyes of God. That's the damning sin of self-righteousness. I don't need God. I'm not that bad of a person. What have I ever done to God? What have I ever done to merit eternal damnation? That's that attitude that God so despises because it cuts out Christ. It cuts out the blood. It cuts out forgiveness. It cuts out the grace of God. And that person thinks they can get to heaven on how good they are and what they've done. It's amazing that when God uses a man... To be a representation of the humble, broken, repentant sinner. He uses the Pharisee. What Christ is doing right here. He's a slaying pride and self-righteousness. I'll show you something. When Nicodemus came to Christ, he's that Pharisee. That's him. That's how he was. Nicodemus was as good as a man could be without being saved. But he's lost. And he couldn't even see the kingdom of God. And he couldn't enter into the kingdom of God till God made it real to him. 
all of his goodness, all of his fasting, all of his tithing, all of his morality, and all that's good in its right place, all of his praying counted zero with God Almighty because he rejected the sacrifice of his son. Notice, how does that publican represent the man that gets saved? Let me say again, there's never been a man too bad to be saved, but there's been a whole lot that are too good to be saved. This Pharisee is too good to be saved. This old publican might have thought he is too bad. But what's the difference? What's the difference in the Pharisee and the publican? One said, I'm guilty. One said, I'm a sinner. One cried out for mercy. While the other man didn't even think he even needed the mercy of God because he was good within himself. You better hear what I'm saying. God will save any repentant murder. God will save any repentant blasphemer. God will save any repentant drunk or any repentant liar or any repentant blasphemer or any repentant thief. But God never has and God never will save a self-righteous person. Never has. Saul of Tarsus was never saved till he got off of that perch of self-righteousness. Hey, Nicodemus was never born again till he got off of that perch of self-righteousness and seen himself, oh God, I'm a sinner. I've been told all my life, I'm a good boy. I've been told all my life, I'm a good girl. My mom and my daddy and my grandparents and everybody down the church has always magnified what a good young'un that I am. You'll go to hell listening to that. You're wicked, ungodly, depraved, and lost in the eyes of God. The best child in this church has got to be saved. Just like the worst murder who ever lived. Nothing good about us to merit a salvation in the eyes of God. They bring this woman caught in the act of adultery. What does Jesus do? He stoops down to where she's at. What does he do? He forgives her. Where's all that self-righteous crowd that brought her? They're gone. They're sent away. You know what? God doesn't save self-righteous people. He didn't say, well, I was self-righteous before God saved me. You wasn't self-righteous when God saved you. You might have been before you got saved, but all that changed. You saw yourself lost, guilty before God, and God forgave you. The Lord stooped down, oh, thank God, in Simon's house. The Pharisee, Simon, had invited Christ, got this big banquet for everybody. And the Lord says, here's a woman comes in. She's a harlot, and she gets down to anoint the feet of Christ and weeps. And washes his feet with her tears and her hair because she has got forgiveness from him. And that's old Pharisee Simon. 
He's offended. And the self-righteous are offended. And they said, if you were who you say you are, you would know that woman is a sinner. You would know what she is. That's exactly who Christ came for. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. And the thing was this, all sinners and all in need of God Almighty. Christ said, I came up to call the righteous, that's the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. First Peter 5, 5, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you, be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. This is so clear. Oh, how we can miss Christ and put the emphasis on what we do. Matthew 9, 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus said at meet in the house, oh, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And the Pharisees saw it. They said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? Christ spoke to them. Hey, Jesus said, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Hey, I'll tell you what's destroying the lost man. His self-righteousness. I'll tell you what destroys revival among the church is the self-righteousness of believers that think there's something they're not. Think they've attained to a level that they're not. Oh, they might show up once in a while on Sunday morning, but they're so spiritual. They don't need Sunday night and they don't need Wednesday night and they don't need prayer meeting. They're so self-righteous and they can sit around and criticize and condemn everybody else and despise them in their heart. That's what self-righteousness does and it's holding back salvation and holding back revival among God's people. I must see myself like God sees me and I'm going to have God's blessing upon me. Jesus said they that are whole you don't need a doctor if you think you're well. You get sick enough, you need a doctor. I don't tell you something, child of God. You can always tell when you're getting backslid on God, all you do is criticize everybody. That's the first sign. You better know you're walking away from the presence of God when all you can find is fault in everything going on. I'm telling you right now, hyper, super, hyper critical people are either lost or they're far from God. God help us. This damnable sin of self-righteousness. Christ said, I'm not interested in your ritualism. I'm not interested in your religious enterprise. I'm not interested in what you've done or doing and shall do. I'm not interested in your burnt sacrifices. I'm interested in one thing. How's your heart? Are you humble? Are you broken before God? Do you love me? Do you love my people? Do you love my church? Do you love my word? That's what Christ is interested in. What Jesus said in this parable, if you ain't careful, you'll miss it. Lord said, I'm interested in two things. Two things in this parable. You know what they are? You ain't going to believe what they are. Two things the Lord's interested in. Number one's guilt. Number two's mercy. That's all God's interested in. He's not interested in your list of do's and don'ts. He's interested in you admitting you're guilty. That's right. Because if you say I'm guilty, you ain't getting mercy. Oh, that's right. 
I don't care if you can memorize Matthew's revelation. I don't care if you can quote every creed and doctrine of the church frontwards and backwards. If you've never got the guilt, you ain't never got the mercy. Oh, that's right. I'm not come to call the righteous, the self-righteous, those that call themselves good, to repentance. I've come to call those that say, God, I'm guilty. God, I need mercy. Not those that trust in themselves that they're righteous and despise others. Oh, that's not what he's interested in. Them always defending themselves. In Mark 10, verse 23 through 29, Simon Peter shows the self-righteousness of the believer. Oh, he does. The Lord gives this parable about rich people. Said it says, it says, if a camel can go through the eye of a needle, that's about how hard it is for a rich man to be saved. He didn't say it's impossible. God's impossible man. Now we got those that interpret that, and they may be right. There was a needle gate in Jerusalem, and that a camel would have to get down so low that it was very, very, very difficult to get a camel through that eye of the needle, through that gate. That may be so, but I think God's talking about an impossibility with man. That's not an impossibility with man. That's a great difficulty. That's a great hardship. Only God can shrink a camel to the size he could get through the eye of a needle. Only God can shrink a self-righteous man, woman, boy, and girl to get small enough to get through the needle of God's grace and realize they're guilty and they need mercy. Peter said, Lord, after the Lord said that, he said, well, who can be saved? God, Jesus said, well, man, it's impossible. God, all things are possible. The only reason riches take a man to hell because he makes it his God. The money ain't got nothing to do with it. It's greed. It becomes his God. And you either possess your possessions or your possessions will possess you. Simon Peter said, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get out of it? What's that? Self-righteousness. There was a mother, the mother of James and John came to Christ and said, Now, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, I want you to allow my boys, one set on your right hand, one on your left hand. What's that? Self-righteousness. Can you imagine any mother having the audacity to ask Christ something like that? That my boys are far above everybody else in the whole world and we're so spiritual and super spiritual. I want them sitting on your right hand and your left hand. What I'm trying to say, that self-righteousness is so subtle and so deceitful. Oh, oh, our problem is in our day, we're so proud and don't even know it. Pride of face. People so proud, what they look like? They'll spend three hours making their face look good and not five seconds getting their heart right with God. Pride of face. Pride of place. Proud of my job. Proud of my money. Proud of my education. Proud of my family name. Proud of who I am. Proud of face. Proud of place, proud of race. I'm my race. It's superior to you. I'm superior to the yellow man, the black man, the brown man. All racism is pride and self-righteousness. The Jew said, you're a Gentile dog. I'm better than you are. God loves me more than you're proud, self-righteous of our race. Pride of face, 
pride of place. Oh, I'm proud. I'm a southerner. I am too. It's probably sin. I don't say I'm thankful I'm a southerner. I don't want to say I'm proud. I'm thankful. The reason I'm thankful is because there's still a little bit of remnant of God down here. Pride of face. Pride of place. Pride of race. Pride of grace. I know more than you do. I'm more spiritual than you are. I'm closer to God than you are. Once you think that and say that, you done backed up. Self-righteousness. Always confine sin to an outward action. Did you notice here? Oh, what happened in this story? This Pharisee did not say, I'm glad I don't have envy in my heart. God, I'm so glad I don't have pride in my heart. God, I'm so glad I don't have jealousy in my heart. God, I'm so glad I don't have bitterness in my heart. I'm so glad I don't have prejudice in my heart. God, I'm so glad I don't have a superior attitude. Him, notice, he did not say that. He said that that was outward and obvious. You know what he said before God? Brother Dan, everything you wasn't guilty of. Oh, yeah. Lord, I don't drink. I'm so glad I'm not a drunk. Lord, I'm not an extortioner. God, I'm so glad I'm not an extortioner. Well, since I've not murdered anybody, God, I'm so glad I'm not a murderer. God, I'm not an adulterer. I'm so glad I'm not an adulterer. There's a missionary who went to a foreign country trying to explain to this old woman what sin was. He said, let's take sin and let's bring it down to the creatures that God made that we despise. Rats. She said, okay, let's call rats murder. I hate murder. She said, scorpions. Let's call scorpions thievery. I hate thievery. And she said, I hate spiders. Uh, let's, call, uh, let's call a spider adultery. I hate adultery. And then that missionary said, no, let's turn that around. Let's call the rat greed. Let's call the spider unforgiveness let's call the scorpion anger uncontrolled and rage hey what he's trying to say Christ is trying to say the self-righteous always deals in the don'ts and never with the heart never the sins of the heart Christ said you Pharisees you clean the outside of a cup but on the inside it's full of corruption he said you're like a grave The grass is cut short and the marker is just right and it's whited. It's a whited sepulcher. And he said the flowers are neatly arranged, but open up that hole of that man buried two weeks ago. Back then they didn't embalm anybody. And the stench you'd smell. He said, you're an open sepulcher full of dead men's bones. You look right on the outside. But on the inside, I smell dead. I smell corruption. Because you dealt with sin on the outside and never with what you are on the inside. Their only righteousness was the flesh. Matthew 23 describes it all. Jesus said, if you're, and I'm trying to hurry said, you won't, you won't go to heaven? What the Lord said? Here's the kind of righteousness you've got to have. Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And if your righteousness does not exceed 
The righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll never get in. And the righteousness of the Pharisees is the best your flesh can do. And God rejects it all. Christ said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What's that leaven? Hypocrisy. You better beware of possessing one thing when you're something else. Matthew 23, 2. The Pharisee is an example of the self-righteous. That's what he's saying. So precise. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. These things you ought to have done, not left the other undone. He said your tithing's all right, but that's all you got. Yes, what you can do outwardly. Christ said the weightier matters are judgment. That is discernment, righteousness, mercy, faith. That's sin, or that is the condition of the heart. Christ said you put all your efforts on how you dress. You put all your efforts on how you look. You put all your efforts on how you appear to other men. But the problem is the heart. And the problem is the inside. You you know what? I'll show you something. Here's a man that's a Pharisee. Here's a person that's got external religion. They've made a profession. They've never been saved. Now, child of God, let me help you right here. When you first get saved and you look around and other folks are what they ought to be, don't get up testifying, blasting everybody. You done got self-righteous. Oh, that's what that is. Tell you one thing, you ain't been down the road, but six weeks, you ain't been through no storms yet. You don't know what God's people's went through. That's right. But here's the problem with external religion. People that make a profession, but they don't get saved are people that are in all these Sabbath keeping cults and all of these not eating meat cults. And all this religious garbage and jurgle uh, where men put great pride in what they do and not what Christ said do. Here's what happens. Crisis is coming. Trials are coming. Temptation's coming. And they're going to find out that they end up doing what they always did. That external religion. Even though if you follow the dietary law of the Old Testament, you're better, you're in better health for doing it. But ain't got one clue to being saved. Oh, when temptation comes, there's some of you in here, you pass up the beer store and the ABC store and the preacher ain't around and the church members ain't around. What gives you the power to do that? All you have was external religion. You'd have pulled in and the times you did, you feel lowered down the egg sucking dog because there's something inside of you said, you don't belong here. You don't belong here no more. This is not your crowd any longer. Oh, what I'm trying to say is when that cycle of sin comes back around, those with external religion will fall prey and be right back where they always were. You know why they ain't had an inward change? They've given up stuff on the outside, but God has never manifested grace on the inside. I want to ask you a question. Whether it's preachers, deacons, church members, church leaders, whoever it is, how do people so flippantly just tire up the house of God? How can they do it? Brother Richard, there's people. Grandpa tied, this really happened. Grandpa tied his horse to that oak tree out there. 
And we need to expand the church so we can have more people uh, come to the church because World War III and a split and the preacher had to leave because he was going to cut down the tree where Grandpa tied his horse. That happened in this county. How can anybody be like that? That's a self-righteous man. That's a man hung up on tradition. How can a spiritual man be that blind? He can't be. A lot of this stuff going on is you've got people that's Pharisees, self-righteous, running the house of God, and they have no spiritual insight whatsoever. Salvation is a new creation. Salvation is a new birth. Salvation is an inner fountain flowing within. Salvation is life with Christ. Salvation is a union with God. Salvation is a relationship with the Savior. Salvation is a victory. Salvation is a resurrection. Resurrection, salvation is that that man can't do. It ain't memorizing scripture and church doctrine. It's something God does on the inside that'll change you on the outside and you'll be humble when he does. Three divisions in this parable. That's the introduction and the message is short because it's simple. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Both recognized the temple as God's place of prayer. They both acknowledge that. They both confess need in going to the temple. They confess a need to go to the house of God, the Pharisee and the publican. Couldn't be more diametrically opposed, but here is the Pharisee, here's the publican. Notice these both men go to pray. Watch this. This is where they're totally different. The Pharisee goes to the front row 